This is the After Hours Director's Spotlight, presented by Amro Music. It's the podcast where we chat with music educators to celebrate the joy of teaching music and learn about strategies for success. This week, Nick Averwater talks with Wes Lowe, Director of Instrumental Arts at the King's Academy in West Palm Beach, Florida. Wes was recently named to the 2022 Yamaha 40 Under 40 list of music educators, and in this episode, he talks about what it's like to direct ensembles at the elementary, middle school, and high school levels, and how he's grown the band program at the school in the last few years. Our conversation was recorded July 5th, 2022. It's broken up into two episodes, and this is part one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to After Hours Conversations for Music Educators. Today, I'm excited to sit down and do a director spotlight with Mr. Weslow, the Director of Instrumental Arts at the King's Academy in West Palm Beach, Florida. Wes, it's so good to see you. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, Nick. I'm really looking forward to our, to our chat today. Yeah, well, thank you. So, Wes, before we get going... Uh, of course, this is the first time that you and I have sat down uh, together getting to do this interview, and I've got some some information about your past, but perhaps you could share with me and our listeners, you know, who brought you here today? Who are the people along your musical journey that inspired you, and ultimately what brought you to the Kings of Academy as the Director of Instrumental Arts? So my history with the Kings Academy is pretty unique because I went to this school as a student. So I went to the King's Academy as a junior kindergarten student and spent my whole elementary, high school, and middle school education at this school. So it's kind of been a part of me. And not only did I graduate from the King's Academy, but my mom was actually went to this school as well. And she was in the band program. She played flute. She was the drum major of the marching band. So there's a really cool legacy that I have with this school that it just creates this love that I want to pour back into the students like the directors poured into me. That's fantastic. Now, now tell us a little bit about the school. Help us understand, and for our listeners, um, you know, how big are the classes? What age grades do you serve? How do, when do you start instrumental music? Just so we can lay that foundation. Sure. So the King's Academy is a private Christian school. We start in junior kindergarten and then go all the way through 12th grade. So we, we have around 13 to 1,400 students in total. So around 130 per class size. So for band, we start instruction. We just kind of changed it the past couple of years. We were teaching our kids now and beginning them with instruments in fourth grade. So that's when we're introducing all, all the instruments to them and beginning instrumental instruction. And then we will see them from fourth grade all the way through 12th grade. Okay, that's fantastic. Now, you have had a tremendous amount of success, and we're going to start digging in, but I've just done a little bit of research on you. So it looks like you were named the Director of Instrumental Arts there in 2019, so you're overseeing the kind of the instrumental music side of things. Now, let's see, during that time, you were a Palm Beach Symphony Instrumental Music Teacher of the Year. Program has doubled in size, named a Yamaha 40 Under 40 Music Educator. Quarter finalist for the Music Educator Award with the Recording Academy and Grammy Museum. So a ton of things going on there. You've had game day performances with the Miami Heat, the Marlins, and at Walt Disney World. And your jazz ensemble was recognized with the Improvisational Excellence Award at the Essentially Ellington Festival. And oh, by the way, we had a pandemic during that time, and it doesn't (laughs) seem like it slowed you down even in the slightest. But congratulations. What a long list of accolades in a short period of time. 
Well, thank you. It's kind of been surprising to me a lot, just to, even just hearing you list all of them out. But it, it's it, it credits to a lot of what the students have put in and have kind of bought into our program, as well as all the support staff around me that have kind of really helped us get to this point. That's great. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. And one of the first topics I would love to unpack with you is just the realities of teaching in either a private school or a, or a smaller or a rural school where perhaps you are the only instrumental music teacher. I mean, I, I hear a lot about the cons of being in those teaching settings, but clearly you have found the pros and you have created a winning formula that works really well there at the King's Academy. So take me through some of the things that you try to emphasize and that allow you to be successful teaching in that fourth all the way through 12th grade environment. Sure. You know, it, when, when you get to teach from fourth grade all the way through 12th grade or sixth through 12th, you're in charge of your own feeder program. So however you want your program to be, that that lays on your shoulders. So it's it's a blessing and a curse because if you want your program to be really well, it's all dependent on, on how you start those kids. And I think the more knowledge and the more practice you get, trying to teach students, especially fourth graders, sixth graders, how to play their instrument from scratch, it makes you a better educator working with your high school kids because it just gives you the knowledge base that you know what you're talking about. Because there's a lot of times we don't know. <laughs> you know, we, we guess, we make, you know, generalizing um, opinions or facts or, you know, we make statements that aren't specific enough for to help our students grow. So I think overall being able to uh, work and teach elementary students for me has been great because it, it feeds my program. And, you know, you want to build that enthusiasm within your younger students in order to help your, your program grow bigger. And, you know, what, you know, a, a, a statement that I always kind of like go back to is like, you get what you tolerate. So if you want your kids to be disciplined, like you have to, you have to be on them. If you want your kids to sound good, you have to keep on um, doing repetition on tone until they sound the way you want it because you're going to be the standard bearer for your program. So you get what you tolerate in all aspects of your program. So for me, I always go back to that because it's such it's such a simple quote, but it has such a profound meaning because as directors, usually it's just us in a program. And so the, the kids don't know any better unless we show them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that quote, you get what you tolerate, and you can already see how that begins to filter through and determine our actions. Out of curiosity, do, I mean, do you find it challenging to mentally shift? Because obviously there's so many, there's only so many teaching periods or teaching blocks in the day. Do you find it mentally challenging to teach such a wide range of students where you have to switch your teaching style and what you will tolerate moving from fourth graders to perhaps a high school wind ensemble. I mean, I, I could see where that would be mentally fatiguing to almost have to teach in so many different styles. It, it, it is, and you do have to shift your mentality. And so for me, I have my, my schedule goes elementary bands, middle school bands, high school bands, back to back to back. And so it, you know, what you have, what you work with, you know, with your elementary students is completely different, obviously, than with your high school students. Um, but in the same way, some of it's all the same. 
we're all trying to create music. We're all trying to improve our our tone, our, our sound production. We're all trying to read rhythms. It's just a different aspect of students. So, you know, for me, what I love is I'm growing with them. You know, I, I see them as an elementary student who doesn't have any cares in the world to into middle school when they're starting to become teenagers and then they're, you know, thinking more about what other people think about them. And then in high school, when they start to like kind of build their own career and have their own mindset. And so you have to really kind of, for me, relate to each kid. So how do you relate to a kid in elementary compared to high school? And, you know, it's easier said than done. It's, it's easier to say, hey, just re- relate to each kid. But you kind of just have to stay, for me, what I found is like stay current in what the what the students are finding interesting, what they are watching on Netflix or on TV or what games they're playing, and just kind of being able to at least spur on conversations or use those as analogies within music to kind of stay relevant with them. And you know, as as they go along, you you hopefully will, you know, kind of mature with them as you're teaching. And then in, within the class day, you will, um, for me, I just love that I get to see that progression every day. So I can, like, expect, hey, the elementary students were doing this. So I expect you to be doing, you know, at this level, even higher. And using that almost as motivation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you you mentioned some of the ways that that um, you are trying to stay current in the way that you're engaging with those students, trying to relate to them, and and I I completely applaud that. But again, though, that's such a wide range that you have to try to stay uh, relevant with. So clearly, it's working. So let's let's dive in a little bit and talk about your your recruiting and your retention component as it relates. Because we mentioned the program doubled in size. Of course, there was a pandemic going on, and, and you've seen this period of growth. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with the recruiting component. Um, how are you finding it to be a really successful way to recruit those students starting in the fourth grade? And um, you know, what are you doing that seems to be working and engaging with them to attract them and bring them into your program? So I think you know, that's a great question. And I think that's something we should always be kind of evaluating as a program. And then so for me, I, I look at the end goal. Like, what do I want them to accomplish? What do I want them to do that they will find exciting or that they will want to be a part of? And so for me, that's that's being able to perform at venues that typically band programs don't perform at. It's like doing a halftime show at a Miami Heat game or doing the national anthem for a, a Miami Marlins baseball game or, you know, and trying to find different avenues where we can highlight our students that the normal people who aren't in the music field would understand, oh, that's a big deal. And so for for me, when I go into the elementary classes to kind of recruit them to sign up for band, because in our school they could sign up for band, choir, dance, art. They have different options they could choose from. You know, I, I want to be able to present, hey, you don't only get to learn how to play an instrument, which is great in and of itself, but you get to do this and this. You get to perform at Disney World, and you get to do all these great things. And so when they have that end goal of saying, hey, I can be a part of this group that's performing a halftime show, um, it, it really excites them. And then when you're in the class, too, it just, it's just making you know music exciting. It, it's, it's 
being able to uh, to to take the little moments within the class period and to just bring life and joy into your teaching. And I think we sometimes get so caught up in the mundane of the everyday um, process that we we sometimes lose the fact that we're able to create music. Yeah, and music is is joyous and it brings it makes people happy. And I think being able to instill that in especially within our elementary and younger students they they will feel that they're accomplishing something and once they have a uh, when when they can feel that they're fulfilling um or they're being satisfied by creating music and, and doing it well it, it makes them want to stick with it and keep going yeah with your young students, do you take this approach of, and, and not to say that it's either or, but obviously you have limited teaching time and priorities, um, do you do you come in and kind of think, hey, I want to get these students playing pretty quickly with, with notes and rhythms and, and really tunes that they recognize, so there's that, hey, I'm, I'm relating to the music, or do you kind of take this alternative approach of, hey, I want everything to slow down, we're going to really focus on really, really strong fundamentals, or do you even believe that those two things have to be an either-or proposition when you're teaching those young students? I think that, first and foremost, we, we spend most of the time at the beginning, probably the first or second month, just on fundamentals. We don't even open up the beginning book. We will just have them practicing putting their instrument together, making a proper sound on their mouthpiece um, or head joint, and just working on fundamental sound. Because what we found out is if students are, are successful on their instrument, they're going to stay with it. If they're not, if we're just playing music but we sound awful and we, the kids don't know how to read rhythms, then they're, gonna, they're more likely to quit because they don't have that sense of fulfillment in, or that sense they, they know what they're doing. So if they are, are confident in the process and of playing an instrument and creating a great sound, even if it's at a quote-unquote slower pace, they will, be, they will stick with it because they know that they're doing something and they're getting results. So we, we spend a lot of time just on fundamentals and getting sound out. But like you said, there's always a caveat where you know you have a Christmas program or you have some type of program that the students have to play at. So we balance that in a, in a sense where we focus on tone, but we also know in the back of our minds, hey, we need to be able to play at our Christmas program in December. So we so it, it's a it's a delicate balance, but we we try to focus on tone production and just fundamentals at the beginning. Yeah. So you have your fourth grade students that first semester play a Christmas concert for the parents. They yes, they play a couple lines out of the Red Book, you know, okay. tradition of excellence. They, you know, they'll play Jingle Bells or something, something simple. Okay, very good. Well, I have to imagine, although the musicality is perhaps not as as advanced as some of your other performing groups, obviously, that's still got to be an exciting time both for the students and the parents because they're at that point what 120 days into their learning journey and getting to go and play their first concert in the fourth grade, which I think is super cool. Yeah, no, it, it's great. And like you said, it's great not only for the students, but for the parents. And for them to see, hey, look look at what they've accomplished in this short amount of time, again, makes them want to stay committed to it as well. Because it's just as important to have the parents um, fully committed as well as the students. Yeah. 
I want to back up and dive into one of the things we, we kind of rushed over, it, but I want to back up and, and talk a little bit about, you mentioned, I can't remember the exact phrase that you used, but really stopping to appreciate and celebrate the small moments that tend to either be mundane or overlooked in the class and, the, and how you feel like that impacts the retention component, the engagement and the excitement. Reflecting back, what are some of the moments that you try to stop and celebrate with your various age groups that you feel like create that connection to the program and maintains that engagement at a high level? I think some of it is taking what students do outside of our band class and celebrating. If it's a sports team win, if it's an individual accolade, if it's an academic accolade, I think it's trying to, you know, find ways that we can celebrate our students in a myriad of different aspects because I think what we want is to create a well-versed student, you know, that's also a great, you know, musician. So if we can take some of those things and celebrate it with our students, also it's just kind of taking the small moments of achievement within our classroom. Like if we know our class is struggling to count rhythms and they do something right, then we should celebrate it with them. You know, and then continue to push them forward. You know, sometimes what I do for my elementary classes that really work is we set goals like if we can accomplish X, Y, and Z, if we can count this rhythm and be able to play this line, you know, by in two weeks, we'll do an ice cream party or we'll do something where we can celebrate our accomplishments together. So, and, and that works well for what I find for my elementary and even my middle school students. You know, they're, they're always goal-driven. And so if we can provide some sort of way for them to motivate them to work harder, to practice, because we all know how hard it is to get students to practice these days with technology and iPhones and computers. It's just hard for them to set aside time to practice their instrument. But if we can provide ways to motivate them and then come alongside and encourage those um, qualities that we like, then it just creates for a better class atmosphere. Yeah. Okay, so we've spent a lot of time talking about the, the pros of teaching in one of the environments that you're in as, as the only instrumental music teacher, in your case, from, from fourth grade all the way up to 12th grade. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the pros. Let's flip the coin over and look at the cons a little bit because I know we have a lot of uh, educators who are either in college that listen to this podcast or who are earlier in their career. And the reality is is that a lot of young educators find themselves in a teaching position similar to yours where you're, they're the only instrumental music educator perhaps on their campus or even in their own rural town, their whole rural town. So not to say what are the cons, but what challenges do you think an educator needs to be prepared for in that teaching environment? And how have you found uh, or have you found ways to help overcome those challenges? You know, what advice would you give educators in those scenarios? Yeah, you know, like I said, it's, it's a blessing and a curse to be able to oversee a program because it all falls back on your shoulders. If it's successful, it's great. If it's not, it, it's, it all goes back to you. So you kind of have to be very self-reflective. And, and kind of always ask yourself, is what I'm doing the best for my kids? Am I teaching them properly? What do I need to work on as an educator? And, you know, one of the things being in either a small school or a private school that you're the only edu- educator that is teaching music or just teaching band, um, you get caught up in just like your own process and your own class and your own students, and you don't really are able to get outside influences. So for what I found that really worked for me is I I constantly had people come into my classroom 
to work with my students. I had um, veteran teachers who've been doing this for 20, 30 plus years come in and because I want to get their opinion, you know, not only for them to work with my students and to hopefully inspire my students, but I want to learn from them and to steal some of the stuff they're doing so I can incorporate it into my teaching. So I'm never hesitant about bringing people in. So I'm always looking for people that come in. And sometimes it's professional musicians or local professionals who play and like come in and work with my flutes or work with my saxophone section. And they, the students gain so much value from that, from learning from a pro, and then I get to learn from them. So for me, it's like a win-win. So I'm always a big proponent of bringing in um, educators, professionals to, to work with your, with your students and your band program because it's only going to make you better. And even if that teacher isn't that great, you're still going to learn something. And so if you're in a small school, um, I would always search out people to bring in. Um, because it's the best way for you to, to grow. And I think that's, that's the biggest aspect of when you're at your own program. Like, how are you growing as an educator? Because we never want to stop. Um, and I think the best way is to learn from those who've already done it and who have experienced some of the mistakes that we've, <laughs> we've made and to learn from them. So, I mean, just out of curiosity, I mean, would, would you just kind of find these people and then just cold email them, you know, experienced directors, retired educators, professionals, and just, hello, my name is Wes, and I would like to invite you to come participate in our program for an afternoon, and here's some of the things I think you could contribute in. I mean, is that the route you took? Yeah, so some of it's just cold emailing, and, you know, I've told my high school kids, it doesn't hurt to ask. Just ask people. Like, I've, I've asked, you know, some jazz artists for arrangements of, of stuff that they performed and they would send it to me for free and just because I've just asked. So I think, yeah, just cold emailing is great. Also being a part of your, your local band director district and being able to get plugged in and to at least meet people and then ask them to come out because, you know, I've never come across a band director that doesn't want to help another one. Um, or who wants to, you know, especially a veteran teacher who wants to come alongside and saying, hey, you know, and come and help somebody. And I think that's what we need to do in order to help all of our programs get better is be able to, you know, pass along the knowledge and the information that we know to to everybody so we can all be successful. Yeah. Did the thought ever cross your mind? Because I, I completely agree with the advice. And, you know, we're very fortunate here. I, I, it sounds like much like the area that you're in, that we have some really, really active colleges where the professors will go out, you know, the instrumental music teachers, the methods teachers will go out and they'll work mm-hmm. with young students, um, some great state associations. So we have a lot of that too. But was there ever this thought in the back of your mind that either I, I'm not ready or that that my students aren't ready or inviting this person might expose me to, you know, something that I didn't intend to happen as a young educator. I mean, did those thoughts ever cross your mind when you were inviting them? Every time, every time, you know, every time I bring somebody in, I'm always self-aware. I, I always think I'm not good enough or my, my students aren't good enough. But I, I think that's just how a lot of us are that we, you know, we, we love our program. We love our students. You know, we always want to put them in the best light and we always want to make sure that we ourselves quote unquote, know what we're doing. But 
you have to sometimes just you know, take a risk to, to bring people in and to, you know, even if it's, even if they tell your students to do exactly opposite of what you were teaching them to do, at least then you know. And like, I'm always transparent with my students where like I tell them, I don't know everything. I'm like a, a, a general doctor who's just, you know, assessing the whole program and building the whole program. And sometimes I'm going to bring in specialists to work, you know, specifically on technique that I don't know that's going to help improve you. And so, you know, being transparent with your students, I think, helps. And then another, you know, another quote that I, I love that and I challenged myself with as well as my students is that there's no growth in the comfort zone and no comfort in the growth zone. And I think that comes exactly with, you know, bringing in people to your program. You know, I always am nervous about it because I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing. But in the end, the educators that come in are always so complimentary and are always so encouraging. So, like, um, I, I love that question that you asked because I laugh because I feel that way, that pressure um, every time I bring somebody in, but I keep bringing them in. Yeah, I, I think you, that's such great perspective to bring in here. And, and and I applaud you for even acknowledging that, yeah, it does make me uncomfortable, but I feel like the pros, it sounds like far, far outweigh the cons. Mm-hmm. And, and the comfort is almost to you, it sounds like signifying that you're doing what you're supposed to do, right? If we're always comfortable, then we're not really stretching, we're not expanding. But right. for you, you you look at that comfort and kind of discomfort and welcome it and saying, okay, I'm doing something new, I'm growing, I'm expanding, and therefore I know the discomfort is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's what, like, again, I tell my students because sometimes band is hard. And it pushes students outside of their comfort zone. Sometimes it's in performances. Sometimes it's just in learning technique or to be able to play something. And they get frustrated a lot. And for me, I I keep on going back to, you know, there's no growth in the comfort zone. You have to sometimes get this, you know, be discomforted to be able to experience more and to grow more as a person and as a musician. That's Wes Lowe, Director of Instrumental Arts at the King's Academy in West Palm Beach, Florida, talking with Nick Averwater. This conversation will continue on the next episode of the After Hours Director's Spotlight, which is presented by Amro Music, a family-owned company since 1921. At Amro, we work with over 600 schools in eight states to bring the joy of music to thousands of young musicians, and these partnerships make production of the After Hours podcast possible. Our director services department is ready to work with your school, too. Just email alan at amromusic.com or seth at amromusic.com. The After Hours podcast is produced by Nick Averwater and Joel Hurd in Memphis, Tennessee. And you can hear many more conversations with music educators at amromusic.com slash afterhours. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, here are two easy and fast ways you can support the After Hours show. First, your five-star review means a lot as it helps to boost us in the podcast rankings so that other music educators just like you can find us. Second, if you thought of someone that would enjoy this week's content and episode, hey, please share it with them so that they too can be a part of the After Hours community. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.